Podcast. I'm Jason Scott. And I'm Andy Berg. And today we're going to be talking to Rachel Gutter. She's the president of the International Well Building Institute. Yeah, Andy, uh, you know, I, I had a chance to listen to your conversation with Rachel actually before we started uh, this recording here. And uh, it was really refreshing, actually. Rachel has an optimistic take uh, about uh, getting sports facilities kind of ready to reopen, um, which is uh, refreshing considering how pessimistic things have been of late. Yeah, absolutely. She has an interesting um, perspective um, as the as well has been developing a new health and safety certification that sort of um, came into being because of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic um, and helping uh, stadiums and arenas sort of realize uh, the putting into place mitigation measures and safety precautions um, so that fans can, you know, re-enter those facilities. Yeah, it's uh, it's a really great conversation. It should be reassuring to uh, facility operators and uh, sports fans alike. So uh, without further, further ado, let's go ahead and get to that interview. All right. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, so why don't we jump right in? So how has the Well Building Institute been monitoring the pandemic and sort of um, you know, can you take us through sort of first awareness to how you guys have proceeded in terms of creating criteria around how facilities should deal with mitigation efforts or um, just kind of take us through that process? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we were monitoring the progress of COVID much, much earlier than most because we have over 20 staff members who are positioned uh, in three cities throughout China. Um, and so they went on, you know, lockdown on quarantine several months before COVID really became a reality in the United States or in other places where we have team members like Europe and Australia. And we were really, I've been saying, living that experience of the onset of the virus in fast forward through our colleagues' um, eyes in Asia. Um, one of the things they started to do immediately uh, for the benefit of our customers and community was um, identify and organize the well features already within our system that could be of service to buildings in the fight against COVID-19. And, and it turns out well as a certification system for buildings performs quite well, um, sure. ranging from bathroom design to cleaning protocols and practices to um, mental health support um, leave policies and travel policies, emergency preparedness, on and on. Um, and so we, we really began in Asia by doing that scan to see how well could, could, could be supportive in this moment and even more importantly, thinking about recovery into the future. Because I think in a, you know, in a very short period of time, we've come to think of our relationship to our buildings and the spaces where we live out our lives quite differently in light of COVID-19 from our homes to our offices, to our grocery stores and to our schools. Um, we, um, when, when COVID became an imminent reality in New York where we're headquartered, we were um, on the, the eve of a vote to bring well version two out of pilot with our governance council we had just that day announced to our staff that we were shutting down our offices and sending folks into remote work scenarios. 
Um, and I pulled our chief engineer aside and said, you know what, I think we have an obligation to press pause on this vote and to work with our community to do a scan of what's in well and what do we want to add to that additionally um, so that really we are equipping users of well um, to leverage their buildings as frontline caregivers, um, mm -hmm. regardless of what the use of their buildings are. Um, and so that's the work that we've been doing for us that day. Everything shifted and our entire work plan, um, all of our 2020 objectives were transformed overnight. We stood up a COVID-19 task force and were overwhelmed when we had not not overwhelmed by capacity, but overwhelmed by, in terms of the level of, of, of support that our community showed with more than 600 volunteers who raised their hand to rapidly crowdsource ideas. And they ranged from virologists and practic pra practicing um, doctors to um, architects, engineers, acousticians, and ergonomists. Um, and so the, the outcome of that task force um, is multidimensional. Um, there are gonna be a whole series of upgrades and new um, beta features in the well standard. Um, we've just announced that we're going to be releasing a new well health safety rating for facilities operations and management. Um, and we're working on a number of different other products and collaborations that are forthcoming, including um, a rather comprehensive set of guidelines for um, prevention and preparedness, resilience and recovery that will feature perspectives from task force participants. So for us, you know, everything that our um, 70 plus person spread across 12 country team is up to right now has to do with equipping and deploying our community. In many instances, you know, they themselves are the next line of, of, of caregivers mm -hmm. um, as caretakers of these buildings and caretakers of the people inside of them. Um, and they need a lot of help and support right now that begins with the science. And that's really our strong suit. Everything we do is birthed from uh, a foundation of research. And so I think we're finding many different ways to show up for many different owners and operators across various sectors in a time when, you know, they're reaching out and saying, like, please help us to figure out what the plan is to right. get to you some some kind of normalcy, you know. You have heard a lot of uh, operators expressing interest in that type of um, that type of help. Absolutely. And what I think was really interesting, because in addition to all these convenings we were doing with the task force, we've also been doing much broader convenings of our community through our Places Matter webcast series, where we have three, four thousand people sign up for each of those weekly sessions. And we're covering dimensions that range from the microbiome to um, cultivating mental resilience in the time of a pandemic. What we heard was overwhelmingly consistent feedback about the type of support that our community was looking for. And that's really the genesis of the health safety rating that our customers and community were saying, we want a mark that will give the users of this building, our staff, our stakeholders, our, um, you know, our investors, our visitors, a sense of confidence that we have upgraded our operations and management um, best practices in this moment. Um, and we contemplated a number of, of, of different ways to go about providing, you know, a kind of mark of assurance. Do we um, leverage the components of well that focus on performance testing? Well, no, because first of all, 
our performance testing agents can't get into the buildings to do an assessment. But secondly, you can't, you can't test a building for COVID. And if you could, everything would change the second that an infected person walks in. So that performance testing fell short of really giving something meaningful to our customers versus a third party review of practices and protocols that range from, you know, physical distancing to ticket lists and touchless entry uh, and interaction within the space to, you know, um, various aspects of um, bathroom provisions and, and, and design. So we're going to extricate from the well-featured library that which already is really supportive. And we're going to add to that a number of new features, pieces, and parts that are inspired and informed by a combination of the COVID-19 task force, um, several advisories that we have underway, the one for um, sports and entertainment venues, uh, as well as our airports advisory, and a new one that we'll be announcing for a different sector forthcoming, and our nine concept advisories. So these are groups of experts that interface with our standard development team. There's one for air, there's one for water, there's one for um, mental health. So we've we've basically sliced and diced this problem in a variety of ways and divvied up the workload across a massive team of internal staff and external volunteers to try and really rapidly um, scale to meet the need uh, that we're hearing right now from the market and across every sector from almost every corner of the world. Sure. Uh, can, can you address a, a more specifically around um, how you're addressing stadiums and sports facilities as, you know, as they look to reopen, Um, you know, obviously there's a big difference between uh, a stadium and arena than a office building and the criteria for being safe in those, those venues is, is different. Can you talk a little bit about how this addresses those types of uh, facilities? Yeah, absolutely. Um, We wanted to make sure that the health safety rating and well in general could rise to meet the need of a number of different space types that have particular opportunities and particular risks in the face of COVID-19, particularly um, venues, arenas, and other places like airports where large people gather, oftentimes for extended periods of time. Um, And, you know, we know that um, based on what, what we know so far about how the virus is transmitted, um, we know that, that those types of spaces have particular considerations. Um, so we've stood up an advisory specifically for um, uh, sports and entertainment venues, and we're undertaking a 30-day exercise with um, an enormous range of incredible participants that um, includes um, whole leagues, Um, owners of, you know, uh, dozens of stadiums and arenas at a time, um, uh, uh, teams themselves, uh, entertainment um, and and performing arts venues and so forth um, to under, you know, to to take the next 30 days to hear everything that they have to say and understand where there may be additional needs um, that we want to speak to in the new health safety scorecard and in well wholesale. Um, I mentioned ticketless and touchless entry. There are considerations for, you know, determining, um, uh, you know, what the right approaches are for um, addressing crowds and, you know, de-densification and so forth. 
Um, but but I also want to emphasize, you know, we, we already know we can't design our way out of COVID, nor can we provide absolute assurance that a, that a space is safe. But what we can do is provide a roadmap through this scorecard of best practices and considerations that need to be made and provide a comprehensive review of um, the pro- policies, programs, and protocols that organizations submit to us and our third-party reviewer, GDCI. Um, especially because the mark that will be issued, the health safety rating, um, which is intended to be issued annually, since these things are always in flux, um, will not just speak to um, the realities you know, of what's happening, but also will address perception. And right now, perception is as important to getting people back into a lot of these spaces as reality. Right. You know, that is to say that I, I can an, an organization can be doing every single thing right. But if if but if I don't perceive myself to be safe in that space, if it's not visible to me, that impacts my choice about whether to enter into that space or not. So, you know, like a lead plaque or a well plaque, um, the health safety rating is designed to provide a level of assurance that best practices are in place for operating and managing the building. Um, and so that's really where we hope that we can provide um, some support and also connect a lot of these um, different participants in the advisory to researchers, scientists, um, and other key experts who are in our midst who can help them with some of the decisions that are always going to be specific to their situation. See, that's the hard thing about this, right, is that, you know, there is no um, eight-foot rule that we can apply to every space. It depends on airflow. It depends on how long you'll be in the space, how many people are in the space, you know. And so um, our goal is not to prescribe a one-size-fits-all solution. Our goal is to identify all the different areas that we think are most important for facilities owners and operators to focus on and then connect them to the additional experts um, and support that they need to make determinations that are really, they're not just going to be specific to stadiums or specific to arenas. They're going to be specific to each individual stadium, each individual arena, each individual theater. Um, and that's a place where I think we'll provide a lot of, uh, a, a lot of help and, and support as well. And we'll continue to call upon the members of the COVID task force to support us in that effort. So just to summarize it, you're, you're kind of, what you're saying is like, so what's right for, say, a domed stadium in the Midwest in the winter might be, you know, it might be completely different for an open air st- stadium, say, on the West Coast near the ocean. Right. It not it might be. It, is. it will be. It is. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we're what well, one of the things that I think we're really trying to do through the health safety rating is create a common vocabulary and a common set of things that we and other experts agree are the most important things. Because with COVID, you know, we what, what we do know more and more about is how to identify where the greatest areas of risk are. Again, those will be site specific, but we know for instance that the instance that the majority of cases are going to be contracted by person to person contact. Mm-hmm. and not by touching hard surfaces. Doesn't mean we won't focus on hard surfaces, but it means that we can focus the community's attention on the kinds of interventions that are likely to matter most. Sure, sure. Um, so final question here, just 
and I, I pardon, please pardon the cliche, you know, mm-hmm. do you expect, is there a new normal coming out of this um, that where things just kind of won't, won't be the same um, in, in good and different ways? Um, mm. Can you kind of paint that picture for me just in terms of, sure. uh, you know, what operators are going to need to understand as they start to look at the future? Yeah, absolutely. This was, was I would say, the second most common request that we received um, uh, from our community was tell us what that future is going to look like. Yeah. Give us a mark that helps us to feel that helps us to, to to feel more safe and secure and assured that we're doing the right things um, that are within our power. And secondly, tell us what that future is going to look like. I guess what I would say is a little different than what I hear a lot of the design community um, and operations community saying, which is that um, I think that we will have an extended period of abnormal. Mm -hmm. um, And I do hope that some of the things that we're doing now will become longstanding practices, traditions, um, you know, and ways of operating. But I think that we are over forecasting just how profound some of these changes will be in the long term. Um, first of all, I think that if we kept a lot of these um, interventions in place in perpetuity um, that we have to put into place right now, it would be catastrophic from a climate sure. perspective and potentially very detrimental to our long term health. That ranges from, you know, extended use of um, antibacterial uh, you know, soaps and hand sanitizer to de-densification and physical distancing, which has, um, you know, both climate related impacts and, um, uh, social impacts, you know, and I could go on and on. So I think it's really important to differentiate between interim strategies that are vital for when the risk of the virus is elevated. And we have to be at the ready to, to resume those at the drop of a hat. Should we see rises and falls? In, in peaks and valleys in terms of this virus or others, you know, our readiness has to be improved. But I believe that the majority of life will eventually, when the threat of COVID-19 is, is, is reduced or eliminated, return to normal or something that looks a lot more like normal than I think a lot of what we're forecasting. And I, I just, I say that because I don't think we should be fear driven about these efforts. And I think that there are a lot of folks who know that in order to sustain their businesses right now, they have to sell you on on new solutions. In China, where um, COVID-19 um, uh, curve has, has been substantially flattened, I'm getting photos from my team there that show pictures of openings where only about 50% of people are wearing a mask. They're totally inside and they're sharing finger foods yeah. and sharing pens where they're signing ceremonial documents. And putting their arms around each other for, for, for pictures. So, you know, do I think that we're going to eliminate handshakes and hugs? No. Do I think that we're going to stop sending fans to games in perpetuity? No. Do I think that we're going to outlaw, you know, or never return to open offices and desk sharing? No. I think we should go back to all of those things when it's safe and when it's right. And in right. the meantime, let's focus on treating these measures that we're putting into place um, as as interim or distinguish between those and things that are really good like forever and ever for instance why should we ever go back to a bathroom where we have to touch something that someone else is going to come into contact with we've moved beyond that from a technology perspective 
why should we ever find ourselves saying again, we've got to send our kids to school in these dangerous conditions, whether it's a snowstorm or whether it's a, a, a pandemic, because otherwise they won't eat. We can do better than that. So there are definitely some long-term measures that I hope will stick around. But I think a lot of, of, of the ways in which our lives are changing that are un, unfamiliar and quite frankly, uncomfortable and unwelcoming are temporary. It's not forever. We're going to get through this. And when we do, we'll be all the wiser for it. And hopefully we'll have recommitted to um, really partnering with our buildings um, to make our, our, our lives better. Rachel, thank you. That was one of the most balanced and realistic as well as optimistic uh, answers to that question I've heard lately. So I, I appreciate it. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you for your interest. Thanks so much for having us. Athletic Business Magazine is a trade publication that 40,000 athletics, fitness, and recreation professionals rely on to find the tips, trends, and products they need to be successful. Want to join? Head on over to athleticbusiness.com slash subscribe to get started or renew your free subscription. All right. Welcome back. Um, really enjoyed my conversation with Rachel. Uh, such a great positive take. And um, hopefully we do get the, back to that sort of uh, feeling of normalcy in our daily lives. Um, Absolutely. A couple of things here. We have the architectural showcase that should be in people's mailboxes by this time. Jason, you want to talk a little bit about the online component there? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, given that we're a print publication, we only have so much space, uh, in our, in our magazine to, um, publish some of these great photos that we get submitted for the architectural showcase every year. But, you know, the good news is, uh, online, we have much more room to feature some of these fantastic images. So you should just, uh, check out athleticbusiness.com if you're interested in exploring more of these great facilities that we have in this year's showcase. Absolutely. And uh, one other thing I wanted to mention here is uh, we have launched a new webinar series with Ruby Legner or Ruby Noel Legner. Uh, she is the founder of Seven Star Services, and she it's a part of a partnership with her, and she's uh, moderating these webinars, and we're going to cover all kinds of topics on them. So um, they're all free um, and really just another, another resource for our audiences. So we hope everybody will check those out. Yeah, and absolutely. And uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the Athletic Business Podcast. Until next time, take it easy. Take it easy.